From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. I think it's safe to say that 2020 is a year we will never forget. It's a year that tested everyone around the world, all of us, and certainly all of you. So in this episode, I want to reflect on some of the key trends that have transformed our industry this year and offer our take on what to watch for in 2021. To do that, I've brought two folks to the pod. There's Christopher Kearns, the head of Executive Insights for Advisory Board, who you know and love. And I've also added Yulon Egan, one of our strategy experts. Hey, Christopher. Hey, Yulon. Hi, thanks for having us. Howdy. Yulon, this is your first time. Christopher, this is like your millionth. What advice do you have for Yulon before she starts this podcast recording? Don't think too much before you talk. It sounds weird. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you'd give me that advice in any other context, but I'll take it. I really wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start off by sort of taking us back to our state of mind this time last year. So December 2019. I'm curious, what was maybe the one big thing you thought that we would be talking about in 2020? Christopher, let's start with you. Well, I guess this time last year, I was thinking that this time this year, we would either be talking about a whole lot of more of the same, or we would be talking about Medicare for all, or a public option, or some other vast expansion of the public health care financing state. Hmm. And that's not really the conversation we're having right now. We still might, but we're not having it right now. Hmm. Yeah. Yulon, what would you have predicted we would have been talking about this time last year? I would have thought that we would be talking a lot more about you know, big disruptors within the healthcare industry. So we were thinking about doing you know, research, for example, on artificial intelligence, maybe looking at um, some of the big tech firms. Obviously, we've had a lot of conversation about virtual care, but it wasn't the conversation I thought we would be having. And, you know, I think big tech hasn't played quite as big a role in the pandemic response as we maybe would have expected at the outset. I also would say that at the beginning of the year, we were much more focused on those far-reaching disruptions around artificial intelligence. I don't think that many of us would have predicted what a disruptive and important force telehealth and digital health has been across 2020. And you're both kind of circling around the most disruptive event that none of us would have predicted that that would happen this year, which is obviously the pandemic. We did point out in an episode we did with our colleague Dave Willis that even though so much has changed this year, the good news is there's still a lot of trends that haven't gone away with the onset of COVID-19. I think the shakeup is more in how leaders need to prioritize, and maybe even more importantly, what they need to deprioritize. So that's where I want to go next. Let's start by focusing on providers, so health systems and physician groups. When it comes to 2021, what do you think is the the kind of first priority providers are going to have to get right? The big one that jumps out to me is workforce. I think that's the one that I hear about in every single conversation that I have these days. And there's both the immediate priority of dealing with shortages in the workforce, but then I also think longer term initiatives around burnout and how to retain staff in this environment. I want to come back to workforce in a moment, but Christopher, what do you think 
are some of the big challenges that providers are going to need to tackle at the start of the year? Well, you know, at the beginning of 2020, we had predicted that the physician market was going to be in serious flux, that there had been a number of different disruptors coming into the market. There had been some action among private equity, among non-traditional players, among the health plans to attract physicians to different in-kind care models. Hmm. And I think that the pandemic has only accelerated a lot of those trends. So going forward for hospitals and health systems, especially those that employ a lot of physicians, the nature of how they engage them, how they retain them is going to be extraordinarily important to their future. This is really interesting because you're kind of circling around the same type of topic, right? You're both talking about the workforce and physicians in particular, but I think, Yulon, you're talking about a little bit more of protecting them in their moment of beyond burnout, right? Their moment of trauma. And Christopher, you're saying that because there are winners and losers in the physician landscape, there might be a shakeup yet to come. Yes, I would agree with that. How should providers prepare for that? What it means to become or to be, I should say, an employer of choice is probably shifting pretty quickly. You know, there's some basic things probably to consider around flexibility, but I've been having some conversations with providers who are thinking about, for example, how do they offer physicians different paths in terms of what they're looking Mm -hmm. for from work-life balance? Should some physicians have an option to focus more on virtual care versus others who want to focus more on in-person care? So we're starting to hear some more creative solutions out there, I think, from at least some providers in the market. And there's a lot of pressure not just to protect the compensation or increase the compensation of physicians, in particular primary care physicians, but I also think that there's a lot of pressure right now to improve the quality of the practice of medicine, make the practice of medicine more enjoyable, take away a lot of the administrative tasks that take up so much of physician time, desktop medicine and whatnot. And I think a lot of the disruptors that would attract new physicians away are really focusing on those things. And this makes me think about a question that I have for 2021, which is, you know, are we actually going to see a shakeup in the workforce itself? because there has been a spotlight on what physicians and nurses have had to do to combat this pandemic. I'm actually just kind of curious to hear from you. Do you think that there are going to be more or fewer clinicians joining the workforce in the future? Well, if the number of people applying to medical school is any indication, I think that we are going to be pretty okay in terms of recruiting new physicians. Will it be sufficient given the number of retirements? I don't know if I can make a prediction on that just yet, but the pandemic certainly hasn't discouraged young people from wanting to practice medicine. If anything, it has given them a renewed sense of purpose in that field, I would think. Well, and I think regardless, there's going to be a little bit of a time gap that we have to grapple with, right? Because we're already seeing some of the early retirements come through. Um, Obviously, it's going to be a number of years before we start to feel the impact of the increase in in med school applications. So I think dealing with that gap is something that um, we're going to have to figure out strategies for, for the foreseeable future at this point. And let's remember that a lot of providers had to employ a lot of these strategies we've been talking about for a long time, extending the physician workforce via advanced practitioners and using technology, telehealth, digital health, AI as necessary. All of those strategies got a shot in the arm this year. Mm-hmm. To Yulon's point from the beginning, yeah. Before we leave the kind of provider landscape, I'm a little bit surprised that neither of you mentioned tracking what's going to be happening with volumes at the start of the year. This has been, I think, one of the big shakeups of 2020 that to me is a little bit unclear where it's going next. 
What are your predictions when it comes to volumes? A lot of our analysis suggests that we could see a new normal that is lower than the old normal, meaning that we could see volumes in certain specialties depressed by 5%, maybe even 10%, as patients have learned new habits and new patterns of care. So it could take us quite a while to get back to our 2019 levels of volume in particular specialties, I think. And that's on top of volumes being low already in 2020. So if we're talking about predictions, is more money, more help, more support going to be coming to these providers whose volumes continue to be low? Yeah, so there are ongoing negotiations underway in Congress around just that issue right now. The most recent proposals we've seen, which have been bipartisan in nature, have included some amount of additional funding for providers. So, you know, I think it's likely that we could see some additional funding early next year, but it's not something that we can bet on into perpetuity. At some point, that funding will wind down. We're already seeing it become a contentious issue today. And the amount of funding is obviously going to be highly dependent on who controls the Senate. Yeah. Full stop. Which is another, maybe I'm not going to ask you to predict on the outcome of the Georgia election. Please we'll just, don't. We'll just talk about it when we have an answer uh, here on Radio Advisory. That sounds wise. So on the whole, volumes are still going to be lower next year. But I can't imagine that that's going to be true for every specialty. Is there anyone that's actually pretty healthy, maybe even better off in 2021? We think that outpatient surgeries are probably going to stay pretty healthy, mostly because of the continued site of care shift that we see coming from reimbursement, but also the simple fact that a lot of patients would prefer an outpatient setting given their fears around COVID-19. I do tend to agree, though, that overall, I think volumes will continue to be depressed uh, through next year. So the other thing that I'll be watching closely is whether this tips more hospitals and health systems toward consolidation, um, something that we're already watching this year, but I think has the potential to really accelerate next year. And I'm guessing we're tracking that same potential for more consolidation on the physician group side as well. Definitely. I think one of the surprises this year has been that we haven't seen more consolidation in the physician Mm -hmm. space. There are a lot of really dire projections early on in the pandemic that we would see practices sell or shut their doors. Most of them have been able to scrape by okay, but I, I would anticipate that we might be approaching a tipping point there. Yeah, I think one of the big questions about these predictions in general is just how long the crisis continues. We know that vaccines are starting to be administered, but the big shakeup here is just knowing how long we are going to be dealing with COVID-19. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. So much change is happening in our industry and there is more change to come. To help make sense of it all, we want to know the questions keeping you up at night. Submit your question to podcasts at advisory.com. That's podcasts with an S. So let's turn to trends beyond just providers. Outside of the physician kind of health system landscape, do you have one big prediction that you're tracking for 2021? I mean, I think we're definitely watching what what will happen in the technology space and with virtual care in particular. Hmm. 
What about virtual care? Because that's a that's a that's a pretty big area. What about virtual care? Do you think is going to be kind of the hot topic in twenty twenty one? I think everyone is hoping for some answers on the reimbursement side, both in terms of what the federal government's going to do, as well as what we might see from the private payers. I think that's the big open questions that a lot of our provider members have been asking. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna force you to make a prediction here because everybody is going to want me to. Do we see telehealth reimbursement that we've seen through the crisis staying long term? Yes and no. I think we will continue to see expanded coverage for telehealth services. I don't think we're going to have reimbursement parity. I don't think we will continue to see payment at the same level as it is for in-person care. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm I'm pretty bullish on that to say don't get used to the payments that you've gotten right now. Yeah. I think there's going to be a big push for home health. We're going to see mm. more reimbursement options probably through Medicare Advantage, for reimbursing a number of different home health services as more and more families want to keep their loved ones at home to the extent that it is possible. Will it be possible to the extent that a lot of families would like? Probably not. But I think that home health has a huge opportunity for major expansion in 2021. Yeah, I think one of the things I did not expect us to be having this big of a conversation about in 2020 was the conversation around post-acute care, was the conversation around nursing homes, which I think we can all agree was probably one of the biggest tragedies of living through this pandemic. But if we're going to be able to push care into the home, that's also going to require technology, right? Absolutely. It will require a great deal of remote monitoring. It will require a great deal of artificial intelligence, frankly, to be able to alert providers when an emergency is likely to happen. Let's unpack the artificial intelligence piece of this. Yulon, this was something you you thought you would be talking about this year anyways, but AI is a pretty significant part of digital disruption, part of the technological landscape. Are there individual pieces of AI that you see being prioritized at the start of 2021? Help me understand what is futuristic versus what is reality for the new year. I think a lot of the past focus on AI has been more around administrative functions. And so I guess what I'd be keeping an eye out for, at least in 2021, are AI solutions that are more clinical in nature and that actually help, for example, maybe extend a physician's panel size so that they can see more patients. Something like that could be a game changer if we're looking at um, even a temporary shortage on the physician side. I think we'll also want to look at where are the applications focused in terms of patients. So are these going to be focused on relatively low acuity patients so that we can actually have patients processed a lot faster, you know, for colds and flus and things like that? Or are we going to see it deployed more for chronic care management and more Mm. acute, more severely ill patients? I think we're likely to see it go in both directions, but by focusing on the more acutely ill patients, we're likely to see a much bigger bang for a buck on that, in my opinion. Yeah. One of the big silver linings of this year has been just how much collaboration we saw across different parts of the healthcare industry. So it's not just trends among providers or everyone else. It's really these different parts of the industry coming together to sort of face a common enemy. As we start to get a better handle on COVID-19, as the crisis eventually goes away, are you expecting to see this level of collaboration continue into the future? 
I hope we continue to see collaboration. I think before we can even begin to think about collaboration and partnership between different segments of the industry, we also have to look internally at our own organizations. Mm -hmm. A lot of health systems really use this as an opportunity to accelerate a lot of the integration and systemness ambitions that they have held for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a real risk, though, of, of backsliding. I agree that we need to get better at working together within organizations, but I do want to push us to thinking across industries. Maybe it's not another pandemic, but what's the next thing that you think is going to happen in the healthcare industry that would push us to, to really work together for a common aim? Well, collaboration and cooperation are at the heart of value-based care. Hmm. When it really comes down to it, we saw a lot of providers work together, share information, move patients to appropriate sites of care because it was absolutely necessary. What we got in 2020 was a real proof of concept for a lot of organizations that might have been on the fence on adopting risk-based payment or value-based care or incentives that create a greater opportunity for providers to work together to improve the quality and reduce the costs for all patients. I think that we have a real opportunity to be able to expand that in 2021 for organizations that really did see that proof of concept. Yeah, Christopher, I I agree with that. I think value-based care is going to be one of the big issues to watch next year. I am very curious to see how the Biden administration might evolve the value-based care landscape. That's something that we saw under the Trump administration. It's something you can do without congressional action. So one of the things that could be top of the health policy priority list for the incoming administration. If value-based care could be the kind of next moment for collaboration across the industry, how do you actually suggest different players go about that? I think there are three pillars. And yes, there are always three pillars. But in this case, there really are three. The first is making sure that the physicians in your market, especially PCPs, have the right incentives to direct patients toward lower cost, higher value mm -hmm. sites of care. That's number one. Number two is making sure you have the right ambulatory footprint to handle all of the demand that you're going to see. So effectively embracing the site of care shifts in your marketplace. And third is right-sizing your inpatient footprint. Just because you are doing a lot more care in an ambulatory setting does not mean you won't need inpatient hospitals. It just means you need the right number of beds in any given marketplace. Those are the three things that have to be embraced by leaders. And those all sound very provider-focused. How about the rest of the industry? What do they need to focus on? Yeah, I was going to say from a collaboration perspective, I think tighter coordination between providers and plans will be really critical if we're going to mm -hmm. see value-based care take off more than it has already. I think historically, that's been a little bit of a sticking point, lack of agreement or lack of alignment between those two segments of the industry. We started off our conversation talking about the things that we did not expect to be talking about this year. And I don't think I will be the first person to admit that I didn't expect this much of our industry to focus on things like racism or health equity. I am glad, for the record, that it has been such a big part of the healthcare conversation. So when it comes to 2021, do you expect this to continue? I do. To this industry's credit, health equity and minimizing disparities in outcomes has actually been a priority for a few years now. 
it has been brought to light over the last several years. And I think this past year has really just shown a spotlight on it. So if there's one thing that really gives me a lot of hope on this issue, it is that it is likely to be maintained as an executive level priority Hmm. into 2021 and beyond. I think we'll continue to see focus on the social determinants of health. Um, But I also think that this becomes an even more critical part of what it means to become an employer of choice. I know that a lot Mm -hmm. of our provider members and really members across all segments of the industry have been thinking very critically about their own workforces and, and how to address some of these issues internally as well as externally. And perhaps this is another example of a moment where the healthcare industry could come together to fight a big challenge, right? I think about the role of technology and and AI in reducing bias at the point of care. I think there's a lot that can be done here. I also think that given the impact that focusing on a lot of these issues around social determinants of health can have in various communities, the healthcare industry has a real opportunity to lead on these issues Hmm. and not just be an example of another organization or other industry that is following the trend. Yulon, Christopher, I want to thank you so much for coming on our final radio advisory episode of 2020. I usually use this time to give our listeners a bit of an action item, right? Something that they should be focusing on right now. But since it's the end of the year and almost the start of a new one, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you two questions this time. The first is a very classic advisory board question. As you're thinking about the new year, what is keeping you up at night? I'm happy to start. I think for me, and this ties a little bit back to the volume conversation we were having early on, but something that we didn't actually bring up was how all of the deferred care is going to impact health status down the line. You know, I'm concerned, for example, that people have been skipping their cancer diagnostics and then mm-hmm. we might see a wave of new cancer cases in the future. Whether that hits this year or further down the line, I don't know, but but that's something that has me worried. Hmm. What about you, Christopher? My big concerns are the financial sustainability of the industry right now. It's not just about the relief that we might be getting from Congress. It is, do they have the cash and the financial resources to make it through to the end of this pandemic? Because the reality Hmm. is the vaccination regimen is going to take a long time. It's going to take quite a few months before we get to anything resembling herd immunity, and maybe even longer than a few months. So making sure that the industry has the wherewithal and the resources to sustain itself is a big concern. I think they do, but it worries me. I don't want to end on too kind of sad or or sour of of a note. And I think that the holiday season for many, even in these weird times, is all about hope and joy. So when it comes to the future of healthcare in 2021 and beyond, what's giving you hope? The healthcare industry, I think, often has a reputation for being very slow to change, very slow to embrace innovation. And I think one of the things we've learned this year is that when it's necessary, this industry can actually do very remarkable things very quickly. So I'm hopeful that we can maintain some of that mentality headed into heading into 2021 and that we continue to see innovation. So many positive developments that we had been looking at over the last several years got such an accelerant this year for very terrible reasons. But I'm hopeful that we have made great leaps forward 
whether it comes to digital health, whether it comes to health equity, whether it comes to innovation around vaccine development, there have been huge amounts of innovation this year. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to push those forward into 2021 and beyond. I think this industry has a pretty bright future, despite the worries that I just expressed. Well, Yulon, Christopher, thanks for coming on Radio Advisory, and I will talk to you next year. See you in 2021. Thank you. Happy holidays. If you want to hear more of what our research team is hopeful about for 2021 and beyond, we've put together a couple of videos for the things we're tracking across innovation and partnership and even just what it means to work from home in this new world. We've added a link to that in our show notes. Think of this as our holiday card from advisory board to all of you. Before we close out the show, I want to take a moment and thank everyone who makes this podcast possible. When I start off every recording, I say that we're bringing you a radio advisory. That's more than just me. We've got Joe Shrum, who does all of our sound engineering and editing. Chris Phelps, our fearless leader and producer. Alice Lee, who does all of our marketing and makes sure that our messages get out to you, our listeners. And there are so many more. Ben Palmer, Andrea Hendrickson, Sarah Rindoni, Dan Tyag. Thank you for all you do for Radio Advisory. We'll be back with more in the new year. But in the meantime, remember, we are here to help. I'd say there are three pillars to it. One is make sure that the positions in your market have the... What on earth was that? Sorry, that was a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I thought it was like... It sounded like a dinosaur or something. (laughs) Hold on.